Please be seated. It is my joy to welcome today and really give thanks for the Reverend Canon Christopher Russell. Chris presently serves as the Archbishop of Canterbury's advisor for evangelism and witness at Lambeth Palace. In his role, Canon Russell helps implement the Archbishop's priority for the evangelization of England and ensures that evangelism remains a central priority to the Archbishop's ministry. As you know, we share this, and in fact, the theme of our diocesan convention this past weekend was light of the world, salt of the earth. And Chris served as our preacher and did really a quite phenomenal job of connecting all of that together within the context of a sermon that really became a word from God for us. So I'm very, very pleased that Ken and Chris is here and will be sharing the scriptures with us this morning. Wonderful. Thank you, Bishop. It's a great honor to be here. Let us pray. Loving God, we pray that your word would search us out. We come to where we are and find us. And hearing your word and obeying, we may find the light of life. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we were sitting in a room which had held a reception for the Prince of Wales and a hundred guests the week before in Lambeth Palace. But the gathering I'm talking about was a different kind of gathering. Rather than sitting in formal seats, we'd moved all the sofas together. They're fairly uncomfortable sofas, as we never really want people to be that comfortable. Um, but we were sitting in a circle, a tight-knit circle. There was no published guest list. In fact, there apart from Archbishop Justin, myself, and another member of the clergy, everybody else who was there, there were 10 others who were there, had come through the Lambeth Palace gatehouse under a false name because it was too dangerous for them to give their true names. The other unusual thing at this point is to tell you at this point in the story, everybody was in tears. Archbishop Justin had heard that in the UK, a number of Iranians, a, a growing number of Iranians, who always refer to themselves as Persians, of course, were becoming Christians. And because this was proving so dangerous for them, and it proved dangerous for their families as well in Iran, uh, we were keen to find out from them what their story was and what we might do to serve them. And so here in this room on this Wednesday afternoon with the rain pouring down outside because it is London, we were hearing these remarkable testimonies of conversions to Christ. But it was particularly Zainab's that had taken our breath away. Zainab had left Iran, a woman of about 35, 
terrible family circumstances, and she'd made it to the UK. Her legal status was pending, and so she had to take a job where she was given cash in hand only. And so she was working as a cleaner. And she, she told us that her life was terrible. She told us that her marriage was uh, uh, just uh, disastrous for her. They had two children, but she really sunk deeper and deeper into great despair. And despaired so much she could only see one way out, and that was taking her own life. But being a mother and being very, very mistrustful of their father, she made the terrible, terrible, what she thought was her only choice is to take the lives of her children first and then hers. And she decided to do this on this particular evening that she was telling us about. And then she just couldn't bring herself to do this. She was just overcome. And with tiredness and with some pills and some alcohol, she'd just fallen into some kind of fitful sleep. And during her sleep, she'd had a dream. And in the dream, a man had come to her and put his shoulder next to hers. She said the thing that she noticed about this man's shoulders is that they were scarred and that they were bare. And that everything from her seemed to transfer over to this man who was beside her. She woke in the morning almost even more perplexed, and she went to work. While she was at work, a fellow cleaner, she told this dream to a fellow cleaner. And the cleaner said, that's Jesus. You need to pray. Well, that evening, she went back to her home, and uh, before she went to bed, she prayed. And she was brought up Muslim, of course, being an Iranian, uh, but she prayed to this Jesus that this fellow cleaner had told her about, and she fell into sleep. She dreamt again, but this time she didn't dream images. She heard words. And when she woke up, she wrote the words down. She didn't understand the words, and she took them to her place of work, and she showed them to this fellow cleaner and said, what's a pasan? The cleaner said, oh, show me and at the top of this paper, it said Psalm 27. And so she read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? She had been given the whole of Psalm 27 in her sleep. Now, believe me, this is the kind of story I don't usually believe. But I was sitting next to her, and she showed me the paper. From then, her life changed. Her light did indeed come into her darkness. Her family transformed. And just to let you know the end of it, at the present time is that she's pursuing ordination in the Church of England. The great light that shone on Zainab was Jesus Christ. This is the light which Isaiah proclaims in our reading and which Jesus fulfills. Matthew makes this connection between Isaiah, that beautiful, beautiful chapter in Isaiah 9, 
And what is happening as Jesus begins his ministry when John the Baptist is imprisoned, beginning in Galilee, those far-flung regions, the places that were probably not trusted by the crowd in Jerusalem, the northern places, but the places that in 733 were first taken into exile, the people of God first taken captive there, so of course Jesus first goes to the place that people have been taken captive and proclaims release. The light isn't in the world apart from Jesus Christ, but when he is in the world, he releases people along roads, in houses and besides lake. As a church, we always need to take notice of the fairly difficult fact that Jesus is seen most of the time outside religious buildings calling people to follow him. And the light comes by means, yes, by his presence, but particularly, do you see, by his proclamation that the kingdom is near, specifically by his spoken word, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And as if to show us the power of these words, Matthew tells us next that Jesus calls these first four disciples. Lots of speculation is made about whether Jesus had already met these people whether maybe he'd had an initial conversation with them about this, whether they'd had any previous contact. The text is silent on this, and so I think we have to assume that this is their first meeting. The compelling, creative words of Jesus Christ to follow. We know the power of words in our own lives. We know the power of a sorry when a relationship has been hurt. We know the power of I love you. We know the power of I need help. And we know the power of all those negative words that are spoken. And these are our words. Imagine then the words of the Alpha and the Omega, the one who spoke the whole word world into being. Jesus' words make life happen. You see, I think the call to these disciples doesn't come in response to anything that they've done. It doesn't come in response to a question from them. No, the motive and the instigation and the initiative lies entirely with God because God would not be without us. His love for us causes his free choice to come to the side of that sea on that day and call these fishermen to a new life. He takes the lead. It is up to his hearers to respond. Each October in the Church of England, we publish statistics for mission. Uh, those days are gloomy days for us. Because the numbers attending Church of England churches are going down. In a few dioceses, it's just like picking up. But on the whole, they go down. In those weeks, I receive calls from the national press, and they always ask me the same question, because this goes hand in hand with other surveys that show that people in the UK, especially young people, count themselves increasingly to be non-religious. I'm always asked this question. Are you concerned that with an increasingly shrinking number of people describing themselves as religious or open, Telling the good news of Jesus Christ has less and less choice 
is less and less likely to get a hearing. What this betrays, you see, is that for the gospel to be received, people have got to be asking the questions. The conditions have got to be right. People have to be looking and searching and asking. And of course, where our friends are looking and searching and and asking, those are great opportunities for us. However, if we have this mindset, we can be tentative and shy and increasingly disappointed that the space that we have to proclaim the good news of Jesus is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We wait for the world to take our cues on how we proclaim the good news and indeed even what that good news might be. But the gospel has a logic of its own. This logic is seen in our readings when Jesus arrives with people that we have no record of any contact with before, speaks the word that they should come and follow, and they follow. Such is his compelling invitation. The logic is in the power of Jesus' word. This is why it seems St. Paul spends so much time advocating for unity, because if the church is simply divided and discussing amongst itself about our own life, we lose focus on our vocation to proclaim the good news. The speaking of the good news has power. It is light in darkness. We know that, some of us for ourselves, and if you don't know that for yourself, hear the words of Jesus calling you to follow. We are all invited. All are invited, whether they are looking or not, whether they're questioning or not, whether they are good or bad or count themselves to be religious. All are invited to follow Jesus Christ. And we believe the decision to follow is the best decision anyone can possibly ever make. For God's kingly rule has broken into the world And because it is breaking in, everything must change. That is why we must repent. You see, God never leaves himself without a witness. I think this is why Zainab was dealt with directly through a dream. Now, you could think, well, let's just leave it up to dreams. But no. The vocation of the church is to proclaim the good news. These disciples are called... And their calling is, follow me and I will make you fish for people. The call isn't, follow me and personal salvation will be yours. It's not, follow me and I'll sort you out personally with everything that you need. These gifts are ours and they're real. But Jesus' invitation to these men is to drop everything and to join him in his work of fishing for people. Jesus calls them freely and gracefully and compellingly to a task using words and concepts they can understand. They're fishermen. Come and fish for people. Of course, because we follow this master who lived his life for others, everybody who follows him also lives their life for others. The first thing these disciples are called to is a task that Jesus equips them for. Who is up to this? only the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the most astonishing picture for the church. 
as those who used it first literally knew what the body of Christ looked like. But being this body requires that we leave things, that we join Jesus in his task of calling people to follow. Because anything else for the church denies who we are. We are the body of Christ. I'm increasingly convinced that's not even a metaphor. What happens if we are his body and therefore must do as he did? Who is up to this? None of us on our own. Whether the place I'm a vicar in Reading, St. Lawrence, or in this cathedral church, who's up to this? We can only be up to this because the Spirit comes to us and remakes us, his body in the world. And so this morning, we gather around a table to be remembered, to realize again who we are, to take bread and wine, elements which we believe by recalling his words become to us the body and blood of Christ. Renewed in his love and hearing again the free call and obeying that with joy, we accept his task to proclaim in every way possible to everybody possible that because of Jesus, darkness has had its day.